This is Gordon Vernick with Jazz Insights. Today I would like to talk about one of my favorite trumpet players and also one of the most influential jazz musicians coming out of the 1950s, and that is a man by the name of Clifford Brown. He was born in 1930 in Wilmington, Delaware, and he, over the past 50 years, has been one of the most influential jazz trumpet players. He comes from a school that we call the Hard Bop School. He was interesting in a lot of ways. Many of his contemporaries were drug abusers, uh, womanizers, uh, smoked and drank alcohol. Clifford Brown was one of the cleanest musicians, jazz musicians from that period, and he was universally liked and admired by his contemporaries for living such a clean life, which was unusual because, you know, we hear stories about many musicians and their destructive habits. Clifford possessed none of those. In addition to being a a wonderful individual, he possessed amazing um, abilities on the trumpet, this wonderful creative power, this zest for life that really comes through on his music. Clifford went to high school in Wilmington and played in a high school band and then went to college at Maryland State University. Didn't graduate from college. At that time, when you played an instrument and played really well, you immediately went out on the road. One of his first jobs was with an R&B band. As many jazz musicians in the early 50s played with R&B groups was with a group called Chris Powell and the Blue Flames. By 1952 and 53, he came to the attention of one of the big-name band leaders in music at that time, a man by the name of Lionel Hampton. Lionel hired him to play in his trumpet section. Other members of that trumpet section were Quincy Jones, who of course is almost a household name now, Art Farmer, Clifford Brown, I can't recall the other trumpet player, but it was a terrific band. They toured Europe, and while they were in Europe, Clifford made quite a few recordings unbeknownst to Lionel Hampton. Lionel Hampton strictly forbade his musicians while they were touring with him out of the country to make any records. The main reason is because he wanted to get a cut. And of course, once these musicians went to Europe, wherever they were in France, Italy, Sweden, they were in the studios all the time. And a very funny story is that as soon as the band got back, from Europe to New York, Lionel Hampton found out about all the recordings that his musicians made and fired almost every member of that orchestra. He was so angry at them. So let's talk about Clifford's playing and why it's so unique and so memorable. You have to remember that you know Clifford comes up in the mid-early 1950s and his primary inspiration was Dizzy Gillespie, but even more so was a relatively unknown trumpet player by the name of Fats Navarro. Let's listen to a little bit of Fats Navarro right now, then we'll understand Clifford Brown. Fats Navarro is really the first true bebop trumpet player. Dizzy Gillespie comes from the swing era, so he's a transitional figure, although he is one of the most important figures in the development of this new style. He really was not of it because he comes out of the 1930s. 
Navarro is a few years older than Clifford Brown, and by 1947 and 48, really has established himself as probably the best respected and most widely known of the bebop trumpet players. Unfortunately, he died very young, so um, he's not a household name today. So Clifford Brown comes out of that style. Now, Clifford was a, a very, very fine trumpet player, possessed great technique, amazing articulation. He was able to execute very clean, methodical lines and play very, very long, intricate, like weaving these spiderweb lines all over the horn. I mean, he was really the master of the instrument. And something that really separates him from his um, the previous generation is when he plays his eighth notes, he plays them really evenly, as opposed to the swing style of playing uneven eighth notes. So I think I'm going to do a little demonstration for you right now so that you will understand what I'm talking about. These are uneven eighth notes as played in, in the swing era. So you can hear those notes are long, short, D, da 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 As we get into the bop style, those eighth notes begin to even out, and we hear that in Dizzy's playing, of course, Charlie Parker's. But Clifford Brown really takes it to the next level by playing very, very even eighth notes. So his eighth notes sound like this. very even and which is different so that's one of the easy ways you can tell the bebop or hard bop style from the swing era style is the way those eighth notes are played another thing that clifford brown did was that he didn't necessarily play songs that were faster but he could play it was called double time or twice as fast as the tempo so it often made it appear as the songs were going by twice as fast when in reality the tempos were still the same here's a really good example of we call single time and then double time this is single time Now, if I double it up or play twice as many notes, we call that double time. The tempo did not increase. I just played twice as many notes. And Clifford was a master of playing single-line melodies and then going to the double time. And he did it especially when it was called the turnaround. I'll play a little bit of a great ballad called I Can't Get Started, and you'll see what I mean. So you can hear at the end of that phrase of that ballad, I went through a flurry of 16th notes. That's called double timing. And uh, Clifford was a master of inserting it just at the right point. And of course, most hard bop or bebop musicians do the same thing. But Clifford really established that as one of his trademarks. Also with the incredibly clean articulation. Articulation would be the same as when someone speaks very, very clearly as opposed to kind of mumbling along. So his ability to state his musical ideas in his very clear and concise form is also one hit of his trademarks. He played with a lot of heart, um, very emotional, had a beautiful sound, could play ballads, could play fast. I mean, he was really the, the role model for, I'd say, all jazz trumpet players post-1953 or 54. The recording we're going to listen to right now is from 1953, early in Clifford's um, recording career. 
It was actually a record that was led by uh, the great uh, bebop trombonist J.J. Johnson. It's with the J.J. Johnson Sextet, and it's an old standard from the 1920s called Get Happy. You can really hear Clifford's playing is very, very clear, and those even eighth notes, and the way he's just bubbles, his, his playing is just so bubbly and effervescent. Even when he's playing something in a minor mode, it still has that kind of edge and that excitement and that happy kind of sound and that clarity that you know was really his trademark so listen to him play uh, his great solo on get happy In 1953, Clifford made that tour with the Lionel Hampton Orchestra to Europe is really when people began to take notice of him. While he was in Europe, he made probably 40 or 50 recordings, some in Sweden, Italy, France, um, and all the members of the group made some of those recordings. When he came back from Europe, this is when he started recording with a lot of great American jazz artists, with J.J. Uh, Johnson. He also recorded with um, Art Blakey in 1953 and 54, made some wonderful records. The Live at Birdland is a classic recording, although it wasn't uh, Clifford Brown's group, it was Art Blakey's group, basically Art Blakey's Messengers. And he made quite a few wonderful recordings with that group. In 1954, he formed the Clifford Brown Max Roach Quintet, which really was the quintessential hard bop group. Max Roach was a well-established bebop drummer, terrific musician, great soloist, and uh, really one of the most important figures in jazz in the past you know, 50 or 60 years. And the group was wonderful. I'd like to play um, a great recording from this period. This is his recording of What Is This Thing Called Love? Now, you have to remember that these recordings were made with no overdubbing. All the musicians were in one story studio with no separation. You can hear it sometimes Clifford would try to execute an idea and it just wouldn't come out quite right and he would go back and try it again and again until it came out right so you can actually observe the creative process and see the human side of it. I mean a lot of records today are made with overdubbing and fixing stuff and these records nothing was fixed it's just that was the way it was and that's what also the beauty of these old records. So let's listen to what is this thing called love? Clifford Brown Max Roach Quintet. (laughs) 